0: you may recall that I talked to you about happiness Psalm one forty four fifteen 15 says happy are the people whose God is the Lord happy are the people whose God is the Lord and um, I believe that the very least your religion ought to do is make you happy it certainly doesn't eliminate pain or problems or disappointments or things that happen in life but God is a divine counterbalance And it doesn't matter how heavy a problem or a difficulty is on one side, God is able to counterbalance it with blessing and good things so that you can look at your life and you say, you know, my life's not perfect and everything is not exactly right, but God's doing so many good things for me, I cannot complain and I'm happy. Can you say amen? So God wants to make us happy and we have to buy into that. The second dot I would like to connect is the teaching that I gave to you about passion. I talked to you about how important passion is in our lives. Without passion, our life is dull and boring and seems to be meaningless. We need passion to give us the motivation to get up and go forward. Passion counterbalances challenges that we have and things we have to force ourselves to do. We really don't want to, but we have to. But passion helps us do the things uh, that we really don't want to do. You know, it's easy to lose passion in life, passion in your marriage, passion in your career, passion in things that you used to love, passion for the things of God. You can live for a while and used to burn with a bright passion for God, but then after a while... You just lose that sense of passion. I talked to you about how to create passion and how to maintain passion. To that I would like to connect the fact that our passions are always connected with our core values. We tend to have passion toward the things we greatly value. If we do not value something, it's very difficult for us to create a passion for it if we don't value it it's important for us to establish what we really value in life what we really want out of life everything that I value has a reward attached to it it's my perception of reward that creates the value system so if I value something, it's because I believe it has the greatest reward attached to it. And that reward results in my happiness. So I've talked to you about happiness. I've talked to you about passions. I'm talking to you about values. And today I want to begin talking to you about reward. When I value something, it's because I perceive that there is a great reward attached to it. I value marriage and family because I believe that's some of the greatest rewards you'll ever have. I value education and training because I believe that if you'll pay the price for your education and training, there's a great reward at the end of that. I value covenant relationships, friendships, because I believe there's a great reward and it brings happiness to my life because I have great covenant friends. I value spiritual things because I believe that it makes me happy at the end. It makes my life meaningful. It makes my life worthwhile. So the things I value all have a a, a reward attached to them. So first you choose your reward and then you create your value. And when you create your value, you build a passion for the things you value and you build a lifestyle that supports that value system. If you don't create a lifestyle that supports your value system, you'll never get the reward. I suppose in my life I can look back and see things that I've always told myself, I really value that, but live for years and never build a lifestyle that supports that value, and then as a result, I never get the reward of it. So I really do value it, but shucks. It's never going to happen because I haven't built my life in such a way that it supports that value system and guarantees the reward that is attached to it. So it's important that I understand what do I want out of life? What rewards do I want? What value system must I have that creates that reward? What lifestyle must I have to support that core value? How many of you follow me on this line of thought here today? Are you with me here? Okay? So our passions are rooted in our core values. Our core values are based on our perception of reward. Our perception of reward. Now, reward is a big word in your English Bible. It's a big word. As a matter of fact, if you look at it and you search it out, you'll find that the word reward is used throughout your Bible. And it's used in some very significant places and locations. And I want to talk to you about rewards from the scripture here today. We'll start with one of my favorite, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must be, believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Notice it refers to God as being a rewarder. One of the dimensions of God, one of the the characteristics of God is He is a rewarder. And when you and I have faith in Him and we live our life to please Him, then inevitably He will reward our lives. Anything we do for God, anything we do right in life, God says He will reward. Well, of course, this is in the most positive context. But at the same time, we need to realize that when we do wrong things, there's a reward for that as well. God is a rewarder of our faith. You know, people are motivated because they have hope of a reward. Uh, We're not unlike other animals such as our dogs and our cats and my horses. Um, We learn to modify their behavior or order their behavior based on rewards. Maybe you have a little dog in your house and uh, you give that little dog treats, their rewards for good behavior. And, of course, there are rewards for bad behavior, but the idea is is, is to attach the correct behavior with a reward that they really, really like. And it's amazing how effective that is. Even Shamu is trained on the principle of rewards. The horses I ride are all trained on the basis of reward. When their behavior is correct and they do what we ask them to do, we reward them. And uh, when they fail to do the right thing, there is pressure that we apply to them to make them want to do the right thing. And so they don't speak English, you know, you can't talk to them like I'm talking to you, but they get get it. They get the fact that, okay, if I do this, he rewards me, and if I do that, I get real uncomfortable, so I think I'm going to do this and get rewarded. It's really simple, folks, but that's the way all of us operate. We operate on a perception of reward, and we correct and modify our behavior based on the fact that there's a reward for doing the right thing. The problem comes into play when the devil thinks, that deceives us into thinking that certain behavior has a reward that is really not a reward. That certain behavior is effective and gets us to where we want to be when in reality it takes us exactly where we don't want to go. We are deceived. Only God is the true rewarder in our lives. And if we'll live our lives God's way, we'll get God's reward. Habits and pattern in life are the result of perceived rewards that we might have. Some habits have an immediate sense of reward. Some have a very long-term delayed sense of reward. You know, when you're raising your children and your grandchildren, one of the things we teach them is that you pay up front and so you can benefit in the end, that you have to delay gratification if you want the greater reward. As adults, we have to remind ourselves. We cannot make decisions that give us immediate gratifications. We want to make decisions that give us long-term reward. So, So if I do the right thing now, I can enjoy a greater reward later on. So it's important that we start by choosing the rewards we want And finding a life that will get those rewards to us. You know, uh, some rewards, uh, rewards very great, differ greatly. Some are small and some are huge. Uh, But some are right now and some are later. Some are temporary, last for a short time, and some go on and on and on and on. Thank God for certain behaviors that produce an immediate effect, but they're always short-term. Other behaviors produce uh, a long-term effect, and they last and last and last. These are the kind of rewards we have to build our lives on. And so, um, when you think about spiritual things, career matters, stewardship issues, think about relationship issues, you have to think about good habits, good lifestyles, good patterns, and good routines. You know, I'm convinced that the key to success in life, the key to success in relationships, the key to success in your walk with God, the key to success in your career, your business, the key to success is always doing lots of little things correctly lots of little things correctly and if you do a lot of little things correctly it adds up to a big big reward on the other hand you can do just a few things incorrectly and end up paying a very dear price for them so building a life where you do a lot of little things right is so very very important and understanding that the principle of life is pay now get rewarded later. Pay now, get rewarded later. That's why credit cards are so dangerous for you and I because credit cards means that I can get it now and pay later. It's so backwards and how much trouble does it get us in when we can enjoy the benefit right now but not have to pay it till later. But the way to live life is not enjoy now, pay later but the real key to life is pay now so you can enjoy it for a long time later. Pay up front. I believe we should live life very, very intentionally. With thought, forethought. With planning. Knowing what we want in life. Knowing where we want to go in life. Getting a plan and sticking to it. And making sure that your lifestyle supports where you want to end up when life is done. Choosing what you want out of life. What rewards you want in of life. And also what rewards you want in eternity. Can you say amen? So God is a rewarder. He keeps very careful records. He knows everything. He remembers everything. He forgets nothing except when he chooses to. He just keeps good records. And he promises that we will always have a reward for the things we do in life. He guarantees it with his word. So I'm going to go to the Bible now. I'm going to read some verses of scripture that um, talk about reward. And let's see what Jesus taught about the concept of reward. Are you ready? Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Then Peter began to say to them, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or or brother or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Many who are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So there's some important concepts in these verses. Number one, he talks about those that have made sacrifices for the kingdom of God. Those that have chosen Christ and have suffered pain and because of it, have had to give up something of value to gain something of greater value. And he said, of all those people, none of them are going to lose their reward. But every one of them will be repaid. Then he specifically says, they're going to be repaid a reward in this time, now, and in eternity. So our rewards have two dimensions. They have two levels. There is what God said, I'll reward you in now. And then there's what I will reserve for you throughout all of eternity. So the way you and I look at our lives is that first of all, God wants me to be blessed and he promised me that while I'm alive, he will do good things for me and he will bless me while I am in this body on this earth living out my life. But on top of that, he said, I'm going to bless you for all of eternity. I'm going to keep account of what you did in your short life, and I'm going to bless you for eternity for the way you live down here. So there's two dimensions of our reward. There's what we're believing and expecting God to do for us in this life, and then there's what we're expecting to receive when we get into eternity. So what I experience today in life and what happens in the course of my life is not all of my reward. There might be some things that are not in life but are in eternity. There may be some reward that for some reason I don't get now in this life, but God said don't worry about it. I've got all of eternity to give it to you. So we can be assured that we're never going to lose our reward. We're just not certain whether we're going to get it here or there, but it's already set aside for us because our God is a rewarder. The apostles said, Man, we gave up houses. I gave up my commercial fishing business. Uh, We gave up our family. We gave up the life we would have lived, the routine, the schedule, the friends, the home. We gave all that up, Jesus, and now we're following you from city to city preaching the gospel. And Jesus said, be assured that I will give all of that back to you in this life and in the life to come. And you will never give more than you're rewarded for. You will never sacrifice more than I will give back to you. He uses an old term called a hundredfold. A hundredfold. As best I understand, this word hundredfold means optimum. Optimum. It means a hundred percent return. It means optimum. You know, if you're raising cattle and you want a hundred-fold blessing on cattle, one cow can have one healthy calf per year. That's it. That's a hundredfold. And if you're raising sheep, it's possible that sheep may have as much as two, three, or even four babies in a year. That would be optimum. If you're raising goats, sometimes goats can have Two, three, four, five, or six in the course of a year. That would be a hundredfold for them. So a hundredfold is not like a hundred times as much. It just means optimum. It just means taking it to the limit. And so everything you do in God, he said, listen, your reward, I'm going to take it to the limit. I'm going to bless you more than you can imagine because I love you and I want to do good things for you. And I'm going to optimize your reward." Now, the devil, he wants to point out the things I've not done at all or the things I've done wrong and all the things I could have done and should have done and blah, 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 And sometimes those things can get really magnified in your life. But we need to remember that God is keeping careful records. He's got a database that you and I can't even imagine, and he's keeping careful, detailed records of all of our lives, and he's making check marks about everything we do right and everything we do good, and he's making check marks and saying, that's a reward, that's a reward. That cash register of God is just going cha-ching, 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 because he's keeping a record of everything we do, and he's building up a great reward for us. This is one of the reasons we look forward to our lives because I know God has good things in store for me. This is why we look forward to life after death because he's promised to bless us throughout eternity. Let me move on just a little further. Jesus taught the people to live so as to receive a great reward and and to not derail your reward. Look at Mark 6, 1. Jesus' teaching. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and street to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they'll ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So he gives an illustration. He says, you know, there are certain kind of people, and and they do everything in a public way, so people will go. So people will honor them and think something special of them. And he said, that's that's a reward. I mean, all of us like this, don't we? But if we do it in such a way just to get that kind of accolades from man, then he said, those accolades, that's all you're going to get. But if you do it in a selfless way, if you do it in a private way, and you do it in a way that doesn't bring attention to yourself, The father says, I saw that. I got it. I got that written down right here. I saw how you snuck that in. I saw how you humbly made that gift. I saw how you made that sacrifice. You weren't trying to do it for yourself so other people would think something great of you. You snuck that in there and got that done. But I saw you, and I'm going to give you a great reward for it. Well, let me go just a little further. Mark chapter 5, verse 5. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. We have a misconception of of sinners, of hypocrites in our world. Um, We tend to think that a hypocrite is a person that goes to church on Sunday but has sin in their life in between. And Jesus really didn't characterize sinners, uh, hypocrites in just that fashion. He said a hypocrite is a person that's always doing things for show. They're always wanting to portray something to receive the approval of man. He said that's what a hypocrite is. And he said, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. Let me go just a little bit further. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and through 26. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Israel for he was looking ahead to his great reward just a little synopsis so Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter he had the best education of Pharaoh being the most powerful human on the planet in that day the Egyptian nation was the uh, power nation of the world They were the world-dominant nation for many years. And so he was raised in the house with Pharaoh and had the world at his feet. His true identity was Hebrew, and his family, the Hebrew people, were slaves to the Egyptian people. There came a day in his life that the Bible says that he chose to identify with the Hebrews who were slaves, the underclass to say the least, the possessions of the upper class. But he chose to identify with them rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Notice how this is characterized here. I mean, Moses could have been Pharaoh's son. He was in line to be the next Pharaoh, and he could have been the ruler of the world. But Moses said, for me to do that, I would have to sin against my God. And it's true that I would have fleeting pleasures of sin. That for a while, my life would look good and right. It would be happy and fun. And I'd have a lot of immediate reward. But I would have to forsake my eternal reward and my people. And I will not do that. So I'm going to choose my people. And I'm going to suffer with them. And I'm gonna take whatever comes. I'm gonna give up a life that is of opulence and power and esteem and, and all of those things. And I'm gonna take the life of servitude and maybe even poverty. And I'm gonna live for God and be a part of my people. And God said, because of that, I gave Moses a great, great reward. No one said sin wasn't fun. No one said that living for the devil does not have some measure of reward. No one's saying that doing the wrong thing might not have some pleasure or reward attached to it. But remember, all the pleasures of sin are fleeting. They're only short-lived. So the pleasure is short and the pain is long. The reward is small, but the punishment is great. And when we live live from day to day, we make the choice that I would rather suffer now and enjoy through eternity than enjoy now and suffer through eternity. It's a choice every Christian must make. I'm not going to enjoy those fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm going to live for God and do the right thing and believe that God is my rewarder. And he's going to bring me reward in this life and in through all eternity. Now let's go to the teachings of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 verse 23. He said this. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance... For you serve the Lord Christ. So we understand that whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord and not as unto men, but as unto the Lord. You know, when you apply your trade, when you practice your skills, when you pursue your career, everything you do must be held to the highest standard not so much because of who you work for or who you work with or what your company goals might be, but you set very high standards because you're doing it as unto the Lord. I am His. What I do is for the Lord. Well, if people treat you nice, it's easy to do nice things in return. If people honor you, it's easy to honor them. But what if they don't treat you nice and what if they don't honor you? We still have to do it as unto the Lord. And remember that the more we pay on earth, the greater our reward in heaven is going to be. Can you say amen? Amen. Let me give you one final verse from the Revelation chapter 22. I've taken you from the Genesis to the Revelation talking about reward today. He said, look, I am coming soon bringing my reward with me to pay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming. And when he comes back, he's going to reward every man according to the life he has lived. Some of those rewards will be glorious and some of those will be horrible. Because God is the God of the universe, He's the judge of the earth, and He always judges fairly. Our judicial system is as good as we can get it, but it's never completely fair and just. But when you stand before God, everything is going to be perfectly in order. Because God is a just judge, and He has all the facts in front of Him. And there's no deception before God. So when he renders a judgment, it is absolutely just and perfect without any stain. And so when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to bring rewards with him. And I want to make sure that I've lived a life that God can reward. How many of you want to live a life that God can reward? When I see Jesus, I want to have my chin up my eyes bright with a great heart full of expectation, knowing that my sin has been forgiven and knowing that he's been taken careful account and he's going to reward me for my life. I want to step into eternity with joy and excitement just thinking about all the things God's going to do for me and with me and all the things that eternity is going to hold with me. So when I breathe my last and I say goodbye to my family and I step across into eternity, I want to step into a reward that is beyond anything we could imagine. The Bible teaches we don't even have the mental capacity to comprehend the good things that God has waiting for us in eternity. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about how God will reward our lives for eternity. Now, one story from the Bible, and I'll be done for today. There was a story of two brothers. One's name was Esau, and the other was Jacob. Esau was a hunter. Jacob was not the hunter, more the manage the household, manage the affairs of the business type of a young man. Raised in the same house by the same mother and dad. And on an occasion, Esau had been out hunting for a long, long time. And he came back in. He was starving. He was famished. And he needed something to eat. And Jacob was there and he had a a bowl of beans that must have smelled really divine. And Esau said, man, let me have some of that soup. I've got to have some of that. I'm starving. Jacob being shrewd. Jacob having different uh, goals in life. Jacob having a desire for the blessings of God said, Well, if you'll sell me your birthright, I'll give you something to eat. If you'll sell me your spiritual inheritance, if you'll sell me the older brother portion of our inheritance, if, if you'll sell me the right to be the elder then I'll give you something to eat. Shrewd. Shrewd. Esau rationalized in his mind, well, if I die of hunger, all of that's not going to matter anyway, so I better deal with it right now and worry about that later. And so he said, you can have my birthright, just feed me. And so he did. And that's the kind of rationale that human beings used gratifying the need of the moment, gratifying the flesh in the current situation, and trying to push off the long-term and the eternal and the spiritual to later. And so we make decisions that are based on the moment, feeling better, feeling good about now, and risking, if not forfeiting, our future in God. And so Esau was a man tormented his whole life. He searched and looked for a place of repentance, but never found it. He did everything he knew to try to get back right with God. But he had created a pattern in his life of immediate gratification, forfeiting the spiritual. And with that pattern, with that habit in life, he never got what he wanted out of life. God help us to always keep spiritual matters, eternal matters, important issues in the first place, and never settle for immediate gratification at the expense of a long-term reward that God has for us. So. I to ask you this um, are you living a life God can reward and are you doing things every day that lead to the kind of rewards in life that you really really want so for me I have to kind of simplify things and just categorize them and break them down and look at them in individual pieces and so I, I look at my physical body and say You know, what kind of life do I want in the future and what must I be doing today so that later in life I can have the reward that I want? What kind of lifestyle? What kind of self-discipline? What kind of good habits do I need today to ensure that tomorrow I can live the life I want to live? I think about relationships. What am I doing today that I may have to pay for tomorrow? What am I doing today that's going to ensure that I don't end up lonely, alone, broken? I think about my walk with God and the things I hope to do for Him in my lifetime. My spiritual bucket list. I think about what am I going to have to do to finish my bucket list and to get those things done before I die? What am I going to have to do today that's going to prepare me and position me to get those things done? I want to finish strong. Think about financially. What do I need to be doing today that's going to ensure that tomorrow I'm going to have the finances I need to live the life that I want to live? When you're young in life, it's hard to imagine retirement. It's hard to imagine a future of 50, 60, 70 years old or more. And so when you're young, you tend to spend money as if there's always more behind it. And you you tend to be um, hesitant and and slack and putting money back, saving and investing and making sure your retirement is where it needs to be. But I want to tell all of you young people that are, are under 50, under 40, even under 20, now is the time for you to start putting your retirement back and making sure you're making financial provisions for the future. Don't live up all your money today because tomorrow you won't have it. Put money back. Let it work for you. Make plans now to invest. The generation that I came up under did not make great plans for the future. They did not make big plans for a retirement. And so somewhere along the way, we realized that. and We started making personal changes. So when my children uh, turned uh, working age, the first thing we did was open them a retirement account. And connect them with a financial planner to make sure that from a young age they were living by the principle that I'm always putting something back. I'm always getting ready for my future. And uh, it may be a long way off, but it's coming. And you'll be surprised how fast it will arrive. So if I just take it a moment to all you young families and raising kids and trying to get a house and trying trying to have cars and build your career. I understand that, but you've got to remember you've always got to be putting something back for your future. You've got to be paying now for what you hope to live out in the future. I just want to take a minute as your pastor and encourage you in that way. Now, there's some times and some seasons when you're struggling financially, there's just not enough money left to put back. I understand that. I've been through times when our our savings, um, uh, putting money back, was very slim. But it can't be your whole life. You can go through a time when there's just not enough money left over to put money back. But you can't live your whole life like that got to say when I get through this I'm going to get back on track and you've got to get back on track because if not you live your whole life and spend everything you make and then one day get to the place where you need it and it's not there anymore one more thing and I'm just being a pastor and a father right now I know a lot of you people older in life don't need to hear this but there's a lot of young people that need to hear it You've got to put money back today so you'll be ready to live the life you want to live tomorrow and it's going to come a lot faster than you think it might but you got to start today the key to having money at the end of your life is starting over early and putting money back week after week year after year and when you get there you can live the life that you want to live so i want to encourage all of you young people get started now you may not can do a lot but do something And that's something over 25, 30 years will grow and be of great significance to the future. The point is the mentality, the habit, is what's going to pay off big time. It's just the habit, the pattern that's going to do you the most good. Can you say amen? You can close your Bibles now. Thank you for giving me this time. You can stand if you like. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. and. We had a great altar invitation today and so many came and received a touch from the Lord. I don't know if there's anyone that missed that opportunity but would like to have another. But we're going to put our prayer partners down here. And uh, if in the course of this service something has touched your heart and you say, you know what, I need prayer. I, I need someone to come into agreement with me and pray with me about this, that, or the other. It could be anything that you're facing in life, your physical body, your relationships, your career your finances, whatever it may be, whatever you need, you can come down right now and we'll pray for you. Before you leave, just come down the altar, pick any of these men or women, give them some idea of what category, what area of your life you want prayer for. They'll pray God's word over you. The power of the Lord will touch you in that particular area. So feel free to come forward if you need prayer for anything that you have in life. Uh, God is here to help you. Can you say amen? I've enjoyed worshiping with you today. What a great privilege it is. God bless all the people.